welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. That in mind, I want to share a message that I've entitled Valuable Question Mark. Valuable. Everyone say valuable. And hopefully that title will become apparent as we continue on. In John chapter 6, reading from verse 60, it said this, On hearing it, that is Jesus' teaching, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, Jesus has been pouring his heart out. No more or no less than when he was healing the multitudes. No more, no less than when he was feeding the multitudes. And here he is on this occasion teaching the multitudes. The only difference is what Jesus had to say they didn't like. Oh, they didn't mind the miracles. They didn't mind the food. But when it came to this new teaching about a new covenant, that we've got to eat your flesh and drink your blood, like, wow, this is a hard teaching. Who can handle that? Verse 66 says, From this time on, many of his disciples, who were quite possibly healed, and fed previously by Jesus, turned back and said, I'm out of here. Thanks for the food. Thanks for the healing. But that teaching you just did is ridiculous. Who do you think you are? I'm out of here. Paraphrased. Do you want to leave me too? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's Jesus teaching on many occasions on many subjects. On this occasion, it's a little bit different because the teaching was a little bit harder. He was talking about the new covenant and partaking in that new covenant. And that involved eating the flesh of Christ and drinking his blood. He was speaking metaphorically, but they were just grossed out by it all. And maybe some of you are listening to me now. And they came to the conclusion that it was just too hard, too strong, not fair. He doesn't really love us. The excuses, I'm sure, were endless. And the result is that many, not some, many, turn to the person next to you, look at them and go, many. Many left. Here's what I've learned. The more you become like Jesus, let me ask you, do you want to become more like Jesus? The more you become like Jesus the more the things that happen to Jesus will happen to you. 
I can honestly say I've had a lot of people walk out on me because of sharing truth. It's actually happened a lot to me. Friends and enemies alike have walked away from me when truth has been shared. If it happened to Jesus, it's only fair to say it's going to happen to us. This being the case, Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, okay, they're all leaving. Do you want to leave too? And Peter responds with, no way. You have the words of life. Oh, they might be tough. They might be hard to understand. But who else has the words that you have? I think Peter understood Proverbs, a, friend's, a rebuke from a friend can be trusted. Give me your rebuke, but don't, I don't want to hear what everyone else has got to say. I want your words. Here's the good news. When you share truth, when you share the hard things, it reveals the gold. You'll find out who's really with you. You'll find out who's really for you. You'll find out who really loves you. You'll find out who's really ready to pay the price. Another thing Jesus and I have in common is that we both had a Peter in our world. I thank God for Pete. Pastoral Pete. We've had some strong words to say to each other. And we've never run from each other. I haven't always liked what he's had to say to me and he definitely has not liked what I've had to say to him. But where else can we go? I have the words. (laughs) As does he when I need the most. My question is simply this. Why did many leave? And Can I just say this? This is how you read the Bible. At least how you should read the Bible. You should ask it questions. I stop after reading a portion like that and say, how come many, not some, many left, and yet Peter didn't? And I believe the answer is simply this, that Peter had an eye for value. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how hard it gets, he valued the words of Jesus. It's like certain people have an eye for value when it comes to property. They can see an old rundown home and they'll snap it up. You think, what? What? You bought that dump? What'd you buy that dump for? Say, look around. See all the other homes? Do you know the suburb we're in? That might be the worst home, but it's on the best street. They have an eye for value. It may look bad. It may look like a lot of work. It may look like hard work. But their eye for value enables them to see beyond all of that stuff and buy things others aren't prepared to buy to put their money where their mouth is, where others aren't. Why? Because they see the value in it. Is this making sense this morning? 
In Matthew 13, verse 45, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. See, if you don't value something, this is what I've learned. You'll walk. If you don't value marriage, you'll walk. Kath and I are still married after 20 years, having dated eight years prior to that, because we value marriage. Have we had opportunity to walk out on each other? Absolutely. But we value marriage. If you don't, you walk. If you don't value church, you'll walk. Or you'll attend when you want. If you don't value Christ, you'll walk. And that's what many of Jesus' disciples did. Because they didn't see the value in his words. It just became a hassle listening to Jesus. So they didn't see the value. Why did Peter stay? He had an eye for value. Second question this morning, what do you value? Seriously. See, when you get honest about what you value, it will answer a lot of questions. It will save a lot of time. And it will stop a lot of arguments. So many arguments within the body of Christ, so many arguments within church are centered around a value or lack of. People argue about when you should go to church. If you should go to church, do you really need to go to church? That's a flawed argument as far as I'm concerned. Because when you value Christ, it's a non-issue. People who argue about whether they should go to church, how often they should go, really what, what they're saying, they're showing where their value is. Or in this case, where it's not. What you've got to understand about church is it's not just a good idea. And based upon Sue McEwen's testimony this morning, we can, see it's, we can say it's a good idea, but it's more than a good idea. It's more than a place of refuge and safety and comfort and help and support. It's more, that. It's more than a good idea. It's a God idea. God wants you to be in church. Do you value God's word? It's a God idea. Serving in church is an non-issue if you value the words of Christ. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. If you value the words of Christ, it stops all the arguments. Giving financially. There's so many arguments in the body of Christ as whether giving is old covenant or new covenant. And when we get caught up in the debates and we try and find scripture and then they find a scripture and then we find. If you value Jesus, I don't know anyone who truly values Christ and values his word and values his example and values his sacrifice who doesn't give. It just takes all argument out of it. What do you value? Do you value Bible reading? See, I can tell you to get on your iPhone and buy the latest app 
and get a Bible reading program, but none of that will make you read the Bible. There's only one way you're going to read your Bible, if you value it. I can say, yeah, but if you do this and just push this button, it makes it all easy for you and all the rest of it. And you can even speak to you now. You don't even have to read the Bible. It can speak to you. You push a button and my iPhone reads the Bible to me. But if you don't value it, you're not even going to do that. And so many pastors are wearing themselves out trying to get people to do things that they have no value in. And I refuse to do that. I like me too much to do that, let alone you too much to do it. Question, what do you value? Thirdly, whatever you value more than God is idolatry. See, idolatry is simply the worship of someone or something else other than the God of the Bible. And what you value becomes the object of your worship. The question this morning is not whether you are worshipping or not. The real question is, what are you worshipping? Every one of us was created in the image of God to worship. And if we don't worship the God of the Bible, we will worship someone or something else. If you're married to an incredible woman, it's possible to worship her. If you're married to an incredible man, it's possible to worship him. If you have incredible kids, it's possible possible to worship them. It's possible to worship everything and anything. If it's not God, It will be someone or something else. Today, Amy Park will be filled with worshippers. Some will worship the crows and some will worship the power. It's the way it is. If you don't worship God, you will worship someone or something else. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. If you don't worship the Creator, you will worship created things. And that's what Romans 1 is all about. Romans 1 is a hard teaching. I don't have it on the screen, but it goes on to say, because they worship created things, God gave them over to shameful lusts. He said, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. He's talking about lesbianism. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed for lust for one another, homosexuality. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceitful and malice. Oh, sorry, deceit and malice. They are gossips. Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And it goes on. 
These are hard words. But if you can receive a hard word, it'll produce soft people. If you just get soft words, you'll get hard people. People that think they're always right. If you're too soft with your kids, they'll just think, go around thinking they're all right. And the world owes them a living. And they become hard-hearted. That's why we need to receive some hard sayings and some hard teachings, coupled with the feeding, coupled with the healings, coupled with all those other things Jesus had on offer. Some of you might say, well, what about tolerance and diversity? They're big words in this day and generation. We live tolerance. But what about God? What about God and his word, the one who created us, the one who formed us, the one who fashioned us? Surely he comes before tolerance and diversity. What Romans 1 is saying is it's not about your sexual orientation. It's not about that. It's about his glory. It's not about what you like or dislike. It's about his glory. That's what Romans 1 is all about. And he lists a whole heap of things. In Romans 1, sexual immorality, be it fornication, pornography, adultery. What he's saying is that sex has become their God. And the bed is their altar. And they worship the God of sex. Homosexuality. Saying men have become their God. Gossips, people's personal lives have become their God. The church is not immune from getting this wrong. You know, the preacher's idolatry is the ministry. Church becomes the woman in whom the preacher has the affair with. And if I'm not careful, my mistress could be the church. My mistress could become the ministry. And that's why I thank God for mates in ministry who could help me stay on the straight and narrow who can help me see my blind spots. You know the thing about a blind spot? You can't see it. And every one of us has them, me included. And you are arrogant to think you don't. And you are arrogant not to have people in your world to speak those harsh things to highlight those blind spots. And so more recently, having Peter Howard Brown live in our home for a whole week was so sweet. Because you can't hide when someone lives with it, not for a whole week. And on the last night he was with us, I had the privilege of driving him into town to take him out for a meal. And I said, Pete, you've been living us for a week. Talk to me. How are Kath and I tracking? Kath's in the car, I'm in the car, he's in the car. That's it. No kids. I said, talk to us. How are we tracking? And I hold my breath. And I hold the steering wheel. And I start driving faster. And he says, Tony, it's been a delight being with you and 
from what I can see so far, she's just traveling so well. And it's so wonderful to know that. And so I thought, I don't want to waste this time. I said, so talk to me. I've got young kids, young family. You've got an older, older kids, an older family. Talk to me. What am I in for? What am I up for? Help me. Because for me to think that I can't be guilty of idolatry is the beginning of the end for me, my marriage, and this church. The Bible says, if you humble yourself, you can be exalted. If you exalt yourself, I don't need that, you'll be humbled. But if you've got someone in your life who can say, talk to me about my marriage, come on. I probably won't like it, but bring it anyway. He exalted us that night. We had a great night. So the preacher's idolatry can be the ministry, but the congregation's idolatry can be the preacher. We put preachers on a pedestal. And I believe one of the reasons we don't listen to preachers is because we think that's all right for them because they're gifted a certain way and so what they preach is good for them, but you know, no one else can live in that. And when a pastor, God forbid, should fall, we're shocked. Because you forgot we're just flesh and blood. And so we in the church know better than the world. We have all these idols in our life. And I believe we end up celebrating the wrong things. You know, R.T. Kendall, who's written many books, and I've quoted him and I appreciate his ministry, but he was in my friend's church and they were interviewing him and he said, tell us about your family. And he burst into tears. He says, as a father, I failed. And we're like, that's okay, that's fine. Give us another book. When's the next book coming out? We celebrate the wrong things. I stand up here before you imperfect, absolutely. But one thing I'm trying to the best of my ability with God's help is to have balance across the whole sphere of my life. To have balance spiritually, to have balance in my family. I do not want to lose my marriage in the name of ministry. I don't want to lose my kids in the name of ministry. I don't want to lose my health in the name of ministry. It always saddened me at the hypocrisy of so many ministers that will be so strong when it comes to alcohol and the excessive use of alcohol to the point where alcohols become taboo. And we've indoctrinated our churches that alcohol is of the devil and you shouldn't drink it. And the Bible doesn't say that. It just says don't get drunk, which is a self-control issue. And yet we get fatter and fatter and fatter and tell our people to stop drinking. Surely obesity is a self-control issue. And I'm sorry just to point out, in this case, the elephant in the room. 
You can laugh, it's okay. I say that because some of us do have big noses. But we've got to get real, church. We've got to get real. I believe that this balance I seek is only found in Christ. See, the goal of our faith is not to make homosexuals heterosexuals. That's not the goal. That's not what Romans 1 is all about. It's not about making gays straight. It's not about you giving money. It's about dealing with the idols in our life. It's about placing value in the relationship we have with Jesus. It's about being Christians, not just acting like them. See, the goal of our faith is none of those things I've mentioned. The goal of our faith is Jesus himself. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The goal of my faith is this, Jesus. My goal for you is that you might get to know him. That's it. I don't want you to stop doing anything. I want you to know Jesus Because in knowing Jesus, he'll change you. He changes you, not me. I'm tired of pastors having to manipulate and twist arms and, and try harder. I can't change anything or anyone. But I can introduce you to the greatest friend. And he'll change you. Love does that. My wife has changed me. The love I have for her has changed me. I do things I would never have done if it was not for the love that I have for her. And I find I do things as a Christian because of my love for Jesus that I never ever thought I would have done. One, being up here before you right now is a Jesus thing. I was the shyest kid on the block. But Jesus has changed me. No one made me preach. No one twisted my arm. No one said, you better. We're not trying to make you look like a Christian. I want you to be one. There's only one way you can be one. And that's know him. My dad has been in a marriage for well over 55 years. And for the most part, it hasn't been a loving marriage. And I think some of us hear that story over and over again. and think, oh, it's all right for dad. He's gifted a certain way and it's all right for him. 
There's only one way he's going to do that. He's, he loves Jesus. He knows Jesus. And his knowledge of Jesus grows on a daily basis. And it's that knowledge and love for Christ that has changed him. And when he's felt like running, he stays. Because knowing Jesus gives you value for the right things. And he's got a value for marriage that's beyond what it gives him. My goal for every one of you, Christian or not in this place, is you get to know him. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus will change your life. It may not always be pleasant in the changing. He'll say some hard things. Say some horrible things. Jesus has been nasty to me. Jesus picked on me. Jesus picked me out of the crowd and picked on me and let everyone else get on with their life and picked on me. Jesus hadn't let me get away with things he's let others get away with. I don't like that about Jesus. <laughs> but I do love him. Come on, parents, you know what I mean with your kids? I love my dad, but he wasn't always nice to me. There was lots of times he was not nice to me. I've got massive issues with how unfair I was treated. I was the middle child, left out, overlooked, neglected. Pete was getting all the privileges of being the old one. Baz was getting all the sympathy of being the young one. I didn't even know I existed at times. Come here, come here. Come on. Go middle kids, we rock. Us middle men have got to stick together. Idolatry. See how easy it is? You just creep into it. See, we thought idolatry, as long as you don't have a golden calf. I doubt anyone here has got a golden calf. If you have, get rid of it. Yeah, give it to us. We'll melt it down and we'll get our skate park. The golden calves aren't our issues. Your issue is that person in the mirror. My issue is the same issue. In closing, my fourth point is simply this. Only God can give you the security that you seek. Isn't that amazing? We're so conditioned. I say, this is my last point, and they all move. I love it. It's just awesome. <laughs> Only God can give you the security that you seek. We all seek security. Let's face it. Atheist or not. What I love about this story that I've read to you is that when the many, not some, not a few, but many, when many left, Jesus, so secure. He's not insecure. Imagine, imagine if that was us. Oh, oh, what did I say? Guys, stop. Sorry. Oh, oh, what I meant was. Guys, go get them. Tell them I'm sorry. Tell them, guy, Peter, go get them. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Not Jesus. Jesus sees trouble and raises it by turning to the 12. 
says, how about you guys? You want to tick off too? No backing off. No surrender. No apology. Absolute security. And that's what you want. That's what I want. I'd love to live like that. Oh, to me, to be that secure. I think that's what we seek. But you can't have it without God. See, what you've got to know about Jesus every morning, get up early and he just spent time with the Father. And he knew exactly what to do. He knew exactly what to say as a result. And in John chapter 2, as a result of this security, John chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Jesus would not entrust himself to them, the disciples or anyone else for that matter, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He knows how fickle we are. These ones that left, they were the ones praising him not too long ago. And so they didn't worry what they thought of him. I could not share this message if I worried what you all thought of me right now. I don't think I'd say anything at all if I worried what people thought. Least of all, what I do say. But I think there is something, even if we don't agree with it, there is something appealing to being able to speak a certain way with a measure of security that's appealing. And I think we all crave it. You know, over the last couple of weeks, I've had a number of meetings with a number of people where I've gone there with them. I just do that. Every relationship I have is worth going there, as far as I'm concerned. And this last week was no exception for me. And I have people in my office or out for coffee or wherever I am. And I had a number of going there moments. A number of those hard saying moments. Those tough, awkward conversations. You know when there's a big elephant in the room and no one wants to mention there's an elephant in the room? Those kind of comments. So before we go on, there's, there's, just, there's an elephant in the room. Did you know that? If we leave it here much longer, it's going to do a poo and it's going to stink. We've got to get rid of the elephant. And I did what I did. And I do what I do. And lo and behold, I got some incredible texts this week and over the last few weeks. But this week in particular, I've got a number of positive responses to those going there moments. And I thought, oh, that's nice, that's great, praise God, awesome. And then later on, I found myself in the shower and I just burst into tears. Because something dawned on me. And it was this, that as good as those texts were, those favorable thank you messages were, I didn't need them for me. And I just burst into tears because at that moment I realized I'm being changed. It's so wonderful to hear the voice of God say, well done. 
No matter how it's received, no matter how people respond, I want you to know, well done. That was good. People might leave you, but well done. When you hear that, anything that comes after it is just a bonus. And so I looked at these texts and I thought, wow, I'm really happy. It's awesome. I'm grateful for them. Because hopefully it'll mean change for them. But I can honestly tell you, those texts, as positive as they were, didn't affect me one bit. And in that moment, I thought, oh, I, I dream and I pray that for every person. That measure of security. How does that come? Through an active, vital, ongoing, regular relationship with Christ. We're not here to change you. We're not here to brainwash you. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm here to inspire you to meet Jesus, to stay in love with Jesus, and to never let him go. Because he'll change you. He'll have you doing things you never thought you'd do before. And it's wonderful. Thank God for all the positive feedback. Thank God for all the encouragement. But it's so much better when you get that from God. I love people, I do. I give my life for people every week. But I know this to be true, people are fickle. As am I. I'm fickle. But Jesus wants us to get to the place where he's enough. And that's a journey for all of us. I can live with mistakes. I can live with where we mess up. What I can't live with is where we think, oh, this is just part of Christianity now. We're just living in grace. And I think the thing that saddens me, and I believe it saddens the heart of God, is not that we mess up. It's just that we don't even know we've messed up, let alone apologize for it. There's nothing to stop any of you leaving this place and going and get drunk, stoned. There's nothing for you to just go off and have an adulterous affair and be saying yes and amen right now. But Jesus. Jesus will stop you doing that. I can't. Not even going to try. This I do know. I'll be back here next week. And if any of you want to come and join me, I'll be here talking again and doing what God's called me to do. And that's do exactly what you've seen me do this morning. Amen? Let's give Jesus a hand. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.